the church's great blunder. <laughs> and that's exactly what starting the body of Christ on the day of Pentecost is. And when you do that, and you're wrong about this, you're going to be wrong about most everything. You're going to be wrong about the gospel. You're not going to know a gospel message to preach. In Acts chapter 2, water baptism, for example, was required by Peter as he preached in Acts chapter 2. He required water baptism for the for the remission of sins in order for a person to receive the, Holy, the gifts of the Holy Spirit and in order for a person to be saved. Now, that requirement of water baptism for the remission of sins, receiving the gift of the Holy Ghost, and being saved, go read Acts 2, verse 38 to verse 40, see what it says. That, that'll be confusing if you go and follow what Paul says later, believe on Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. By grace you are saved through faith, that not of yourself. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Listen, if, if, you, if you got most of what you get out of a mistake machine, you couldn't mistake that. I mean, that, those two things are different. They're not the same. You get this wrong, you'll be wrong about the mission of the church. You won't have any idea what we're supposed to be doing in the world. You won't know what the program that we're supposed to be following, how Christians ought to live, what our real identity is. Are we the church, the body of Christ, whether it's neither Jew or Gentile, bond or free, male or female? Or are we, are we really spiritual Israel? You're not going to know what, you ex- what to expect. What is God doing? What's the future hold in store? All of those things are relevant to the question, what about Pentecost? And I'm just saying to you positively, we are not. Pentecost is not us. And when you miss that, you make a mistake that causes you to be wrong about so, so many things. Somebody says, Brother Rick, well, who agrees with you? Well, let me tell you this. There's a lot more of us than Noah had on the ark. <laughs> you ever thought about that? I remember years ago, back in decades ago, when I was first getting into the ministry, and I'd started a little country church and a little church in a little country town in Alabama. And somebody came along and said, hey, hey, Jordan, how many people y'all got in your church? How many are you running? And I was embarrassed. We didn't have maybe 25, 30 people, you know, and it, and, and I, I thought that was kind of, I thought it was wonderful, frankly. But, you know, you get embarrassed, got, got 100 people, and you say, oh, well. And, and one of my men said, he said, look, you just tell him you got, you, you got more people than Noah had on the ark. And that's who God, God used to save the whole world. So I started saying, well, you got more than Noah Pat on the ark. If you got H, you got more than that. And uh, what I've discovered is you're always going to be, Jeremiah said, with a few of many. And maybe maybe that's, you know, I, I'm okay with that. We had a brother come to our seminar just, just a few few meetings ago. And he said, you know, I heard your radio program. And i got to tell you, I'm confused. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, "Well, are you saved? You know for sure you have eternal life. Your sins forgiven." He said, "Well, I used to. I used to think I did, but I've been going to this church and that church, and even named three different different denominational churches he's been to." And I said, I'm, "Now I'm just confused." And I said, "Well, whatever made you think you did have eternal life? Whatever made you think God would accept you into His heaven, forgive your sins?" And he says, "Well, I believe that Jesus Christ died for my sins, and buried, rose again. I thought that's all I had to do is trust Him, but now I said, what, what, what?" what that's all you got to say. You see, the gospel of Christ is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes, period. You believe that Jesus Christ died at Calvary to, be, to, to pay for your sins, was raised again the third day. You trust him to be the Savior, that he died and rose again for you to be, God will save you. End of story. 
All the rest of it is icing on the cake. That's the end of the story. And that dear man standing in the bookstore in our assembly, uh, in our, our church building, he looked at me, he said, and that's it, right? I said, yep, that's it. And you could see a glow of satisfaction and joy come back over that guy's face that was thrilling. Can I tell you, that's the issue? Paul said, Second Timothy chapter 2, Consider what I say, and the Lord give the understanding in all things. You go consider what Paul teaches in, his, in, in the Word of God, and you'll get understanding about all things. He says, Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needs not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the Word of Truth. If you're going to understand your Bible, you're going to have to understand it the way God designed it to be understood. You read a book, every time you pick up a book and read it, you know there's a way to read it. If you pick up a novel, you start in chapter 1, you read all the way to the end, straight through. But if you pick up a dictionary, that isn't how you read a dictionary, is it? You read a dictionary by looking up, and by an alphabetical order, the word that you're looking up. If you pick up a phone book, you don't read it page one all the way to the end. I'm going to read this book beginning to end. No, you don't. You know a phone book isn't meant to be read that way. You go to the you go to the bookshelf and get an encyclopedia. You don't start in the A and read all the way to the Z. You know that you you have a talk. You know how to use an encyclopedia. You know how to use a phone book. You know how to use a dictionary. You know how to read a novel. You know how to read a history book. You need to know how to read the Bible. You see, you can't just decide you're going to read it your way. Well, you can. But if you want to get, I mean, you can sit and read a dictionary from beginning to end. That's great. By the way, I did that one time <laughs> years ago. I'm probably the only person you know ever read a dictionary all the way from the beginning to the end. I bought years ago, I bought a uh, 1828 Noah Webster's original English dictionary and American dictionary, American English dictionary. And I, I got to reading through the introduction to it. Very interesting. Noah, you read that and you can just see how engrossing, engrossed he was in the English language and its development and intricacies. And after I got through reading the introduction, I just kept reading. Next thing I knew, I read through the whole dictionary. <laughs> it's fascinating. But, you know, that's not, that isn't the way you use a dictionary. You can do it that way. And I don't, it wasn't a waste of time, but it just wasn't a real profitable use of time either. So there's a prescribed way to read every book that you read. There's a prescribed way to read the Bible. It's study. The one verse in the Bible that tells you to do it tells you how to do it, rightly dividing the word of truth. That's what we call dispensational Bible study. If you look there at 2 Timothy 2, verse 15, just let you run down a couple more verses, and you'll see there's two guys, Hymenaeus and Philetus, and, well, I'll have to look them up now. My, my tongue got all tangled around my eye teeth, and I can't see what I'm saying here. 2 Timothy chapter 2. And uh, verse number 17, their word will eat that doth a canker, of whom is Hymenaeus and Philetus. I knew I knew who these guys. There they are. Hymenaeus and Philetus. Who concerning the truth of erred, saying that the resurrection is past already, and have overthrown the faith of some. Notice, they didn't say there was no resurrection. They just said it was past. So what you do is you draw a timeline, time past, but now in the ages to come, past, present, and future. Draw the timeline out, and you say, now, where does resurrection go on that timeline? Well, we're here in the but now, and if, the res- if you're saying the resurrection is past, you're saying it's back over here, and that, that one's over with, and we're past it, and Paul said, nope, you made a mistake. You, you got the resurrection at the wrong place on the timeline. Now, that's what he's talking about, rightly dividing the word of truth. Put the information that God has given to you at the right place on the timeline. 
You see, dispensational Bible study is simply recognizing that God has given different its instructions, different administrations, different economies, different programs to different people at different places on the timeline. And dispensationalism, that's a great Bible word, by the way, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, Ephesians chapter 1, Ephesians chapter 3, Colossians chapter 1, all those passages tell you, use that term dispensation. So it isn't exactly an un, it's a Bible word. Somebody says, well, that's just a new invention. There's nothing new about it. You got a King James Bible in 1611 when it was published, and the predecessors to it, by the way, also, there's the word right there. So it's at least that old, just in use. No, no. You see, you say, well, I never heard of it. Well, you see, maybe you ought to ask your preacher why you hadn't heard of it. It's in the Bible. And it's the key way, the method that God says for you and me to use to get the prophet out of the Bible, he's put in the Bible. So when we study the Bible dispensationally, we recognize that there are different programs in God's pro- in God's uh, in God's Word, God's dealing with man. You're not the only people. We're not the only people God ever had in his his programs. He's had other people. He had the nation Israel, for example. And they deserve Scripture that's about them and appropriate for them and adequate for them, just like we need it, That's Scripture that's appropriate and adequate for us. And so we rightly divide. We make the distinctions where God has made them, and then we lay that out on the timeline, and we see where we are. And when you look back in the past and you look at Pentecost, you discover that the program going on at Pentecost isn't the program God has in, a, in, a, in operation today. Now, we've studied this. This is our third study. We've seen already that Pentecost was, was not a secret. It was prophecy. The dispensation of grace in the body of Christ that we live in today was a secret. Now, I've gone over with you many times in this, in this study, in this program, Acts chapter 3, Peter says what he's preaching about is that which is spoken by the mouth of all the holy prophets since the world began. Acts chapter 2, Peter says this is that which is spoken by the prophet Joel. Pentecost was prophesied. Joel spoke about it. Joel wrote it down. Joel chapter 2, verse 28 through 32, he wrote down what was going to take place. It took place in the day of Pentecost. It was fulfilling of prophecy, which is spoken by the mouth of all the holy prophets since the world began. Paul says that the dispensation of grace that was committed to him, in which the church, the body of Christ that we're a part of today, that was the preaching of Jesus Christ according to the revelation of the mystery, which was kept secret since the world began but now is made manifest. Now, hard as you might want to, you can't mistake the fact that something that was preached about, talked about, and and made known since the world began is not the same as something that was kept secret, not preached about, not made known since the world began. That's two different things that you need to distinguish. Pentecost isn't a part of the mystery program. It's a part of the prophecy. It was no secret. At Pentecost, Israel was not fallen. In fact, Israel is the preeminent, prominent agency of God's dealings. The church, the body of Christ that we're part of today, is a joint body where there's neither Jew or Gentile, bond or free, male or female. It's Paul that says, I say, I, Paul, say to you that circumcision avails nothing, uncircumcision avails nothing, but the new creature. <laughs> Nobody before Paul would have ever said that since the time of Abraham. You see, today it's, but now, 
Ephesians 2 says, But now in Christ Jesus, you who sometime were far off, Gentiles, are made nigh, made near, by the blood of Christ. Paul says, now there's no difference. Now that's, that's, that's that unique message. He says there, 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 there's no difference today between the Jew and, 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 the, and the Greek. Uh, the Scripture saith, Paul says, Whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed, for there's no difference between the Jew and the Greek, for the same Lord is over, uh, uh, over all, is rich unto all that call upon him. Now that's, that's a unique message. Wasn't a message at Pentecost. Over and over at Pentecost, Paul, uh, Peter singles out, I'm talking to Israel. If you read Acts chapter 2, believe every word in it. <clears throat> and believe the three times in the passage when Peter says, I speak, you men of Israel, hear these words. You aren't Israel, dude. So he wasn't talking to you. You see, you can't claim a passage of Scripture as yours if it's addressed to somebody else. And by the way, you aren't Israel. I mean, that's why everybody wants to be Israel. They want to go steal Israel's stuff. Number three, there's a different program in operation at Pentecost than is in, oper- in operation today. At Pentecost, they were baptized with the Holy Spirit by the Lord Jesus Christ. In the body of Christ, you're baptized by the Holy Spirit into the body of Jesus Christ. Now, that's different. I mean, again, I've said it many times, a six-year-old kid that flunked kindergarten can figure that out. You look at Acts chapter 2, water baptism was required for the remission of sins. Why? Well, Jesus told him, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. So Peter says, preach the baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. You had to be water baptized, repent and be baptized for the remission of sins. You had to repent and be baptized to receive the gift of the Holy Ghost, Acts 2.38. You had to repent and be baptized to save yourselves from this underworld generation. But you know, when you go to the Apostle Paul, the program's different. Paul said, Christ sent me not to baptize. Now, wait a minute. Listen, 1 Corinthians one seventeen. Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel. Well, if he sent him not to baptize, but to preach the gospel, then baptism wasn't part of preaching the gospel. He told Peter, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. He that believeth not shall be damned. Water baptism was a part of the gospel Peter preached. They're different messages. They're different program at Pentecost. There was already a church. Point number four, reason number four. I'm going to give you seven reasons, okay? And uh, I, I look at the clock, and I've taken about two-thirds of the time going over the old ones, but um, that's okay. There was already a church in existence on the day of Pentecost. Did you know that? Did you know nothing new? There was no new church coming into a, coming into operation on the day of Pentecost. There, there was already a church there. In chapter 2, uh, verse number 41 Chapter Acts two forty one, and they that they, they that gladly received his word, talking about Peter, were baptized, and the same day there were added unto them about three thousand souls. Now, when you add to something, that means the thing was already there. See, this wasn't the birthday. This was a, another day. The, the church was already there. Verse number forty seven, praising God and. Uh, having favor with all people, and the Lord added to the church daily 
such as should be saved. See, the church was already there, and then they were just adding to it. Now, the question is, what church was already there? Well, Jesus had told Peter, and Peter had, had uh, in the conversation with the Lord Jesus Christ in Matthew chapter 16, Peter said, thou, uh, Christ said, Who am I? Who do, who do you say that I am? And he, he said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Peter, the Lord says to Peter, thou art, thou art Peter, and upon this rock I build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Peter says, Lord, you're the Messiah. You're the Son of the living God. And he says, On that rock I'm going to build my church. Whose church? The Messiah's church. So the church that Jesus told Peter he was going to build was the kingdom church. That's why he says to him in Matthew 16, verse 19, and he says to Peter, I'll give unto you the keys of the kingdom, you see. Now that church that was there on Pentecost, it started with John the Baptist. That's why some people call it a Baptist church. It's added to on the day of Pentecost. That's why some people call it a Pentecostal church. But that church is a part of prophecy. Hebrews chapter 2, verse number 13, writing to those people, the writer says, saying, I will declare thy name unto my brethren. In the midst of the church will I sing praise unto thee. Now that's a quote from Psalm chapter 22, verse number 22. In other words, there is a church that is a part of prophecy. You see, the word church is a generic term. It means to belong to the Lord. And if you take something that belongs to the Lord, Acts chapter 7, verse 38, Stephen talks to Israel, the, the, the Senate and Council of Israel, about the church in the wilderness that was following Moses. Well, if every time you see the word church in the Bible, you think it's talking about you. Were you in the wilderness following Moses? Is that the group you're a part of? No, you know better than that. You see, the, the word church is a generic term. It's talking about a group that belongs to the Lord. The context has to give you a meaning to it. The church at Pentecost was the church of prophecy. Pentecost wasn't a secret. It was a prophetic event. And there was a church already there in existence. And the church at Pentecost is different from the church of the dispensation of grace because we're not a part of prophecy. I'm sorry. In the body of Christ, in the dispensation of grace, Paul says that the church today, there's no Jew, there's no Gentile, there's no, no male-female status, but we're all one. We're in a, in, a, in a spiritual body of believers where there's absolute, total equality between us. Now, the, the word church, by the way, if you see it in a plural, for example, Romans 16, verse 14, he talks about the churches of the Gentiles. I'm talking about local churches. Uh, Romans 16, 16 talks about the churches of Christ. Salute you. And, you know, there, there are people who take that term. The churches of Christ. We speak where the Bible speaks, not where the Bible speaks. So we're just going to use the Bible term for the church. We'll call it the churches of Christ. Well, then why do you call your church, singular, the church of Christ? That verse is talking about the churches. That's plural. And by the way, why don't you call it the churches of the Gentiles? Because the church at Pentecost, wasn't, uh, there were no Gentiles in that church. <laughs> You see, when you confuse the body of Christ with the nation Israel, you just get confused. And when you confuse Pentecost with what God's doing today, you confuse everything. And when you're wrong about this, you're going to be wrong about just about everything that really counts. Pentecost was a Jewish feast day given by the law of Moses to the nation Israel. We do not observe feast days 
We do not observe law observances today. The Apostle Paul in Colossians chapter number 2, very, very clear about this. Colossians chapter 2, verse 16, he says, Let no man judge you in meat or in drink or in respect of an holy day. Pentecost was a Jewish holy day or of new moons or Sabbath days, which are a shadow of things to come, but the body is of Christ. You see, Pentecost was a shadow. It was a part of the law program that God had given to the nation Israel. We are not under the law. We're under grace. That's why at Pentecost, where did they worship? What did they do? They were worshiping in the temple. In fact, you go over as late as Acts 21, that Pentecostal church, many of them were zealous of the law still. You see, what went on at Pentecost isn't what's going on today. Now, that's an important thing for you to notice. I'm saying it. You say, well, Brother Rick, you spend a lot of time on this. I am, because I realize how important it is. Let me give you a Bible study resource that can help you with this. It's entitled, Why Pentecost Isn't Us. I, I taught this Bible study especially for you in our radio audience. I make this program just for you. You're not listening to something I'm preaching somewhere else. I sit down each week and make this program because I want to talk directly to you. Now, you've got to be interested in serious Bible study for this Bible resource to be of any help to you. So if you're not interested in real serious Bible study, well, then then you can save yourself some time and us some of the Lord's money by not calling and getting it. But if you are interested in real serious Bible study and you want to see what the what the Bible actually says and how how it can clear up the confusion and give light and understanding, well, you call me for a free copy, will you? 888-535-2300. That's the number to call, 888-535-2300. And I'll see that you get a free copy of this Bible study resource, Why Pentecost Isn't Us. 888-535-2300 is the number to call. You can also look us up on the Internet at graceimpact.org, graceimpact.org. That's how you can check us out. You can uh, see who we are, what we're about. And most importantly, you can access a, a host of free Bible study material designed to help you understand and enjoy the Bible. That's graceimpact.org. And by the way, you can access archives of this broadcast, of our daily Bible Time radio broadcast, as well as our weekly television program, Forgotten Truths, on the website. It's all there. All of this, along with written Bible studies, conference messages, everything is designed to help you to understand and enjoy the Bible. There's a lot of goodies uh, to help you at graceimpact.org. One thing when you're at the website you might look at is the information about Grace School of the Bible. That's our three-year Bible Institute program. If you've ever... If you've ever desired to really genuinely be a serious student of the Word of God, if you want to be a perfected saint who can do the work of the ministry, not just a 90-day wonder, not just somebody that gets plugged into a job when they don't know what they're all about, but to have the Word of God work effectually in you because it's gotten a, it's it's gotten that that uh, that you've got that edification process, that perfecting process of the Word done in your heart. If that's where your your desire is, well, Grace School of Bible is something you ought to consider because it was designed just with you in mind. 
It's available on an extension basis, first of all. You don't have to come to us. We'll send the school to you, and you can you can take the school in the con- context of your own scheduling demands, your own family, your own life, through the use of video. The key to the school, however, is not the delivery system. The key to the school is that the curriculum in the school is based on the design set forth by the Apostle Paul for the for the perfecting, for the maturing uh, of, of a believer. If a perfected saint is to do the work of the ministry, then you need to be a perfected saint. You're not going to become a perfected saint by being a 90-day wonder. You're not going to pro- become a perfected saint by being trained in the denominational and religious system that uh, that, that men have developed. You need to follow the divine design set forth in Paul's epistles. And the Curriculum Grace School of the Bible uniquely follows that design. Check it out, graceimpact.org. And my friend, can I tell you, if you're still not sure that you have eternal life as a present possession, that all of your sins are forgiven, if you're not confident of that, absolutely sure of that, why don't you call the uh, call our number, 888-535-2300, and tell the folks that answer the phone that you need to know for sure. There's some folks that will sit with an open Bible and share with you the, the wonderful message of God's wonderful grace so that you can be confident that all of your sins are forgiven and that you have eternal life as a present possession. Everything starts right there in the Christian life. 888-535-2300. That's the number to call for information. Thanks for being with us today. It's always a joy to have you fellowship with us as we're here. Hope you're making it a habit to be with us each week. Tell, tell a friend about the, our, our study together and get them listening in will, with you, will you? And until we meet the same time next week right here. Beloved author and media host Eric Metaxas tackles religious liberty, Marxism, the calling of the American church, and the cost of its silence in his new best-selling book, Letter to the American Church. With today's church at a crossroads, Metaxas looks to the German church of the 1930s and how its silence impacted world events. He cautions the American church not to make the same mistakes, as today's Christians face a crucial decision to stand up to the forces of evil slowly enslaving our culture. By discussing current issues, historical events, and prophetic warnings, Metaxas teaches us to champion the truth when it's needed most. With compelling logic and historical support, this book examines where the church has been and where it's potentially headed. Get your copy of Letter to the American Church, available now at Amazon.com and wherever books are sold. Take the word with you wherever you go with our mobile app, thewordorlando.com, Alexa, TuneIn, iHeart, and Odyssey.com, AM 990, and FM 101.5. The Word. We are the NFHS. That stands for the National Federation of State High School Associations. But really, what we stand for, together with the FHSAA, are the 308,000 high school sports students in Florida. And so we stand. We stand for the runners, soccer, and basketball players. We stand for their coaches, administrators, and officials. We stand for the swimmers, football players, and wrestlers. We stand for the golfers, softball, and volleyball players. We stand as the national leader and advocate for high school athletics and all who participate in them and make them possible. 
because it is our purpose to ensure that high school students get to play, perform, and compete together. To learn more about who we are and what we stand for, visit nfhs.org. All right, folks, let's get started. Parents, thanks for coming. As many of you know, I'm Coach Mather. Tonight I want to talk about the season, of which I only have one expectation, that everybody gets stronger. When I say get stronger, I'm not referring solely to physical strength. Sure, we'll be in the weight room, we'll be running stairs, but we're also going to focus on developing mental toughness and grit, because those are the characteristics that allow us to achieve greatness both on and off the court. So how do we develop those things? By getting comfortable with a challenge, by cultivating the confidence necessary to overcome adversity in all forms. That's why I coach. That's my purpose. Every member of this team can lean on me, and I'll teach them how they can lean on themselves and each other. This message presented by the FHSAA and the Florida Interscholastic Athletic Administrators Association. Have you noticed bad behavior has become normalized at interscholastic athletic events? Some fans seem angry. They lack civility toward one another. Some even get aggressive and unruly. Time out! What is going on? This has to stop. Let's not forget, school sports aren't just about winning. And they're definitely not an excuse to take your frustrations out on the official or the opponent. They're about teaching lessons like perseverance, respect, and empathy so students can learn and grow as people, not just as players. We all have a role to play in setting a good example for our students and teaching them these important values. So fans, it's time to step up your game and behave positively at Interscholastic Athletic Events in Florida. This message presented by the FHSAA and the Florida Interscholastic Athletic Administrators Association. A bigger and stronger voice for God's Word is now here. 50,000 watts. AM 990 and FM 101.5. The Word. WTLN Orlando. Where faith comes by hearing. Portions of this broadcast hour are pre-recorded. Make it.